0: Okay, Saints, to Matthew chapter 5. Let's bow our hearts. Father, the days that we're living in seem to be more and more complicated. People being bitter. One group hating another group, and the group hating back. Father, we pray that you would allow us to keep our eyes on you and our hearts set upon your word and that we, Lord, would have that filling of your spirit. that We would be overwhelmed by just your love, Father, and as that love would be poured out upon us and it would overflow to all those who would be around us. So, Father, we're asking for an abundance of your love to be poured out upon us that we can be that catalyst in our communities, um, in the groups that we're in. Father, teach us what it is. Draw us to your heart. Um, Correct where we're in error in our doctrine, Lord. Just draw us to you. Tonight, Lord, give us here to hear what your Spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all the saints of God said, amen. 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 All right, Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 43, I just want to read through this this passage. This is the last of that portion where he's correcting bad doctrine. And in verse 43, he now comes and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray to those who spitefully use and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what more? What do you do more than others? Do even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. As we're looking to this portion of Scripture, I just find it um, where we've been kind of looking at one verse prior to going into the study, looking at something that kind of encapsulates what we're doing and get our head and our heart right. And tonight, what I want to do is this I just want to have you jot it down. And, and if you want to turn there, you can, but it's found in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read the first two verses to you. And as Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus, he makes this statement, chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It's interesting that Paul is telling the church just be imitators of God. And what what a greater you know thing can you do as a sign of, of honor and respect and simply imitate? And what he says as far as imitate God, he just says walk in love. Let let what you do be in that love of God and the way that he loves and then we see what kind of love it is as a sacrificial as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. Keep in mind that what he's doing is to glorify the Father and that's all what he wants to do is what can I do to draw you to the Father what can I do to shower God's love upon you and boy, to be an imitator of that, it sounds so easy, and yet the reality is within this passage that we're going to be teaching tonight, that there are sometimes the complication in the passage is really trying to work out the wording, work out what it is he's saying, and trying to really follow it in its steps. Um, this one, the wording, you don't have to work it out. Um, living this one is a whole nother monster, though. Um, because we have a tendency of wanting to do what the Jews at this time were doing and what they were actually telling people to do. There in verse one, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So as far as what the teaching was, they were saying, yes, you need to love your neighbor. That's, that's, that's there in the scripture. And then you need to hate your enemy. Now, that wasn't in the scripture. And so what they're quoting is this. Let me just share with you. There's a passage in Leviticus chapter 19. I want to share two verses with you. I want to share verses 17 and verse 18 with you. This is where they're getting it from. Now, they're getting it from verse 18, but what happens is they're not really reading verse 17. Because in verse 17, it says this, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Now, that's verse 17. It's just right before, in the context, it simply says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says, I am the Lord. God is the one who directly after he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I'm the Lord. I'm the one who's giving you this commandment. Now, the interesting thing is there in verse 17, where the context is, he says, You shall not hate your brother. So what they're saying is this, Oh, well, he's not my brother. He's my enemy. Him I can hate. And so they're taking this passage and they're taking it out of its context. And what they're doing is they're, in a, in a sense, saying, Listen, by me hating my enemy, in a sense, what I'm doing is this, that, that my hating my enemy, is just a means that God is going to use to judge them. And I've already determined them worthy to be judged because they're my enemy. And because I find them worthy to be judged, my hating them is that means in which God is going to judge my enemy. But yet in verse 18, it says here in Leviticus 19, you shall not take vengeance. You don't take vengeance on yourself. We've been looking at that. We'll see that one more time as we return to um, Romans 12. But he says, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. So as this is going on, they're saying, well, okay, so if it deals with just my people, I can understand it. They're Israelites, yes, but the enemies of Israel, then we can judge, then we can deal with. Those are the ones that we can hate, and within hating them, that that will be that means and where God deals with it. So when he now is quoting back in our text in Matthew 5.43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor This is what they're quoting from. They're quoting from that passage initially in Leviticus chapter um, 19. But what they do is they now add to it and they add the, the negative aspect. So they said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So as we're seeing this, what we're recognizing is what the leaders of Israel were teaching them is there's a command now to love. And there's also a command to hate and that command to love you're supposed to act on and the command to hate you're supposed to act on. you understand how they've now elevated hating into a commandment that is now equal with loving? And that's where Jesus is now saying, I'm telling you, listen, love your enemies. He's now not mincing any words at all. He's saying, you've heard it love your neighbor, hate your enemies. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Now, it doesn't get any clearer as a definition of that as far as what he's saying. So as we look to this, the wording is easy. The wording is practical. The wording is powerful. But how to do this, that's the complication thing. Because so often when it comes to this, this hating of our enemies, Hate is a huge emotion, and I don't know if you've ever realized that there are certain people that you can discuss with, and when you're discussing things with them logically, then you're able to reason with logic, and you're able to sway and move because of logic, but when you're having a discussion with someone emotionally, there is no logic. You can't put logic in there. And what happens is emotions begin to control and rise up. And the more the emotions rise up, the logic has absolutely no ability to, to hit the reasoning button because the, the heart and the emotions are just in flame right now. So as we're seeing this, understand that they're wanting love and hate to be equal as commands. Now, what he says here, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. I want to take you to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because so often we think of love as an emotion, that I have to feel really happy about my my enemies. And when Jesus says love your enemies, he doesn't say you have to feel gushy about them. You don't have to feel wonderful about them. It doesn't say anything here that he says, you know, but I say to you, Feel the love towards your neighbor. Jesus simply says, love your neighbor. He's going to define it just a second. But I want you actually to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to take this moment to literally define what this love is. It begins in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. So you can have these words that come out. And if it's not with this foundation of love, he said, it's just a lot of noise. There has to be this foundation of love so I can speak with the tongues of men. I can speak with the tongues of angels. But if, it, if I don't have love, this action of speaking without that, that foundation of love, it's just noise. Verse 2 And though I have prophecy, understand all mysteries. And all knowledge, and though I have all faith, that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So all the power that I could manifest, if it's not done under that foundation of love, it's just wasted energy. God calls it nothing. And verse 3 Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. So even all the sacrifices that I'm doing, if it's not done with the foundation of love, it's nothing. So understand that in these first three verses, none of it speaks of feelings. It all speaks of actions that love will manifest. And now in verse four, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, does not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does not provoke Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And as we look to this, all these things he talks about, there's certain things that love is going to do, And certain things that love is going to prevent me from not doing. And so when I'm really going to have love, I'm not going to think of my own. What is it going to do for me? How is this going to work for me? And and I'm not going to want to be puffed up. And it's going to think no evil. I'm not going to keep any records of wrong. This is what love is. And so keep in mind, when we were to love our neighbor, what we're going to see is there's actions Not just simply, I want to have this gushy feeling towards that person. And I think we kind of get it wrong because when we hit our teens and maybe our 20s or maybe our 30s, or maybe you haven't even gotten there yet, but you find yourself in love for the first time. When you find yourself in love, oh my goodness, just everything changes. The grass is greener. The, the, the clouds are gone. The sun is brighter. The birds sing nicer. Everything is good, and but your your heart, your emotions are all stirred. And but what happens is this: eventually, as you find yourself married, and maybe if you've been married, you realize that that emotion, that that really huge, passionate feeling. Um, sometimes it may drop down a notch. May not, which is good, but it might. But then you realize that what love is, is this. It's the commitments, it's the actions, it's what I do. And, And those are the things that we realize this is part of my expression in love, not just writing poetry and singing songs and serenading. There's actually actions that take place within it. So when he says, love your neighbor, it's not one of those things where he says you have to be all gushy to your neighbor. And I want you to understand that it has to do with actions, that the things that they do wrong, you forgive, you don't keep any records of wrong, and it's not parading itself, it's not about you, it's about how can I minister to you? So when it comes to loving your enemy, what Jesus says there in verse 44, but I say, to you love your enemies? We mistake that to think that it's an emotional love, that I have to emotionally um, at least, feel okay about my enemy. You don't even have to feel okay about them, but there are certain things that we need to act on, and that's why Jesus will go on to say, love your enemies, and then he'll say, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and curse you. Actions, 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 it's not emotions. So when he says initially, love your neighbor, what is that love? 1 Corinthians 13. The next question is, is, what is your neighbor? Love your neighbor. Well, as I'm saying that, you're like, oh yeah, I know where you're going. I know what the neighbor is. Found in the gospel of Luke chapter 10. And in the gospel of Luke chapter 10, it begins to speak as far as what this neighbor actually is. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. I want to start up to there and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 37. Verse 37. But in Luke 10, 35, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. What do I got to do to be in heaven for eternity? And he said, well, what is written in the law, what is your reading of it? So the guy, you know, goes through his memory and he says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the greatest commandment and the second one that hinges on it, love, loving God and loving your neighbor. And so Jesus now said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now, what's interesting is the guy, verse 29, but he wanting to justify himself. When he said it, it's a lot easier to rattle off the command than to do it. Let me give you an example. All of us could say, ah, love your enemies. It's a lot easier to rattle off the command than to do it. And here, when he says, just love your neighbor, he's like, oh my goodness. Well, he says, who is my neighbor? (laughs) Well, Jesus now, verse 30, begins to answer him. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. Now, at this point, anyone who's this Jewish believer go, oh, oh, here's a guy, he's half dead. No, the priest, rescue. But what he says is this. And when he saw him, when the priest saw him, he doesn't just like, oh, maybe the guy was in a ditch and he missed him. No, he sees the guy there, half dead, wounded on the road. He passed by on the other side. He moves to the other side of the road. After he sees him, he walks around him and he just leaves him. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place. Now you're like, oh wow, I know what was going on with the priest, but oh, thank goodness this Levite is here. And it says, he looked. He looked. Now, now when he looks, he doesn't just see him at a distance, but he looks and he, he it means to look to understand. He sees the guy, he can, in his mind, sees what happens to the guy, and then what does he do? He passes by on the other side. So two of where the Jew would think, these are the heroes, the priests and the Levites, and then in verse 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Now, to the Jew, the priest is a who's who. The Levite is a who's who. The Samaritan is a, oh, yuck. The Samaritans were known as half-breeds. The Samaritans were a mixture of Jew and the other cultures that were there. They were there in the northern area of Israel when Assyria came and they took the 10 tribes. They would replace them with um, cultures from all over the world. And they would place all these cultures there along with some Jews and all the Jews that eventually would come back or move up there, as they would move in, they would intermarry and the Samaritans were not of true blood. They were a half-breed and they were despised. They People, the, the true Jew wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. And so he talks about a priest that walks by, he talks about a Levi that walks by and now he talks about a Samaritan. And any Jew who said the priest? Like yes, I know the priest. And then he said Levi. Oh, I know the Levi. And then the Samaritan. Oh man. And so here Jesus says, the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and he saw him and had compassion. Now the Jew would have hoped that the thieves would have came back and robbed be of the Samaritan too. But here the Samaritan begins to take care of this man. He sees him. And the first thing that he does is he has compassion. Now, as we recognize this, the man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So what does that mean? He was probably a true Israelite. The priest now goes to see the true Israelite. He passes him by. The Levite passes him by. The one who's despised by the true Jew, he comes and he sees him and he has compassion. So he went, verse 34, to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay. So the Lord asks the question, which of these three do you think was neighbor To him who fell among the thorns. And so this lawyer said, Well, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus says, Go and do likewise. This is a neighbor. A neighbor is one who, when you see someone, you don't have to be like the next door neighbor. To love your neighbor is to love not just those of your own kind. Understand, the neighbor was a Samaritan ministering to that pure Jew. That's a neighbor. A neighbor is anyone that God puts in your path, whether you like them or don't like them. So if you want a definition of a neighbor, it's someone that God puts in your path. That's a neighbor. When the man says, who's my neighbor? God says, all right, three men were there with one man wounded, half dead. And all three, they were put on the path, put on the path, put on the path. Who was really the neighbor? It's the one who looked and says, God, you put this guy on my path. How can I minister? How can I bless? That's what we do to a neighbor. And that's what loving your neighbor is all about. When you see issues and you see them half dead, what do you do? You seek to minister to them. And I think it's important because most Christians, if you're going to have an enemy, it's going to probably be a non-Christian. And if you have an enemy that's a non-Christian, well, it's sort of like what you do to minister to them. Realize that non-Christian is not only half-dead, that non-Christian is all-dead. And you get the opportunity to bring life to that non-Christian who's all-dead. And I'll tell you what, you think that man is doing okay, but he's in the enemy's camp and the enemy is beating him up. The guy is truly dead in his sin. He's dead in his trespasses. And what we want to do is this, have compassion on him. It's one of those things where you can judge him for saying, how could you do these things? Well, understand that the people in the world, they're not going to do what Christians do. And I don't know so often why we think that the people in the world should do what the Christians do. Take a look at verse 46 for just a second. And he makes a statement, verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only, what more do you do than, any, than the others? Do not even tax collectors do so. People in the world do things. They're, they're, they're kind to their own. And so if you're kind to Christians but not to people who are not Christians who who you know where he will go and say the one who will spitefully use and persecute you if you're not kind to them if you you know don't want to minister to them what we think is this we expect the world to do the things that Christians do and they're not of God they're not of the kingdom And I think what happens is we make excuses for Christians when Christians don't do what God calls us to do. How many times have you made excuses for a Christian who hates his enemy? How many times have you made an excuse for yourself when you hate your enemy? And we make excuses for Christians, but here's what happens. We blame the world because they're not doing the things of God. Now, God expects the Christians to do things that the world doesn't do. And that's why he said, listen, the world will greet its own. You need to do more than the world. And the reason he calls, he doesn't expect it from the world is this. The world is doing what the world does. They're, They're carnal, they're fleshly, they're blinded, they're under the sway of the evil one. But the Christian has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The Christian has the word of God to direct them and to bring the actions power to life. The world doesn't have that. And the world can read this book and the world gets nothing out of it. We read this book and we're breathing in life and we're receiving power and we have joy as we recognize this. So I think it's important here that when it comes to here, love your neighbor, realize one thing. Your neighbor can be your enemy. It's anyone whom God puts on your path. And we understand that definition. Why? Because Jesus said that in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Here's the path, the people on it, God's going to bring you there. Now, for a priest to see another priest walking by, what are they going to do? Greet one another. When a Levite sees a Levite walking by, what are they going to do? Greet one another. When they see a Samaritan, they're going to walk to the other side. But when they see one of their own in pain, when they see one of their own who's fallen upon, they literally bypass him. They're not doing the love. And I love how Jesus uses all those things that the Jew would look up to, the priest and the Levite. He makes them out to be the bad guy. And he makes a Samaritan who they would despise out to be the good guy and why he's teaching us what it is to love our neighbor, or as he would say in verse 44, I say to you, love your enemy. You just simply love. The imitators of God, dear children, love. And as we're looking to this, there's a portion of scripture, I just wanna read this to you, don't turn there, just simply jot it down. It's found in 1 John chapter three. I'm going to read from verses 3 to 16, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. It declares this, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brethren abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, this takes us all the way back to the first time that we read as far as, oh my goodness, who is a murderer? You've heard it said. You show that murder. But I'm telling you, he comes all the way back to that. As we're seeing this, he says, don't marvel. The world is going to hate you. You don't hate the world. There's... Keys to this and understanding of that. The world is going to hate you, but we've passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brother. We love people. And he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. When you don't love and you begin to hate, and you can say, okay, well, I can hate my enemy. If you hate your enemy, you're already a murderer. And we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So as we're looking to these areas, realize that the world is going to hate you. Although the world is going to hate you, jot this down. One thing that we can do in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 6. When dealing with the church of Ephesus, he makes this statement, but this you have, Revelation 2, 6. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Understand we can hate the sin. Love the sinner. There's a big difference. You have to learn to make the disconnect to realize we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what the enemy is doing. And you can hate the sin because of what sin does. You can hate the sin because it does destroy and it tears. But the sinner... Simply, he's being used as a vessel. So I think it's important that when we hate, yes, we can hate sin, hate the deeds they do, but don't hate the person themselves. And even Jesus, when he says, I hate the deeds, I hate sin, but understand, yes, I do hate sin, but I died for that sin. And so as we realize that here, you know, John says, you're going to be hated or you're going to be hated. We understand that. In the gospel of Luke chapter 21, I'm going to read verses 16 and 17, declares this, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Do not think that you can, by loving God, that the world is going to love you. If they hated him, they're going to hate you. A servant is not greater than the master. Once they realize that you're on a, a fire Christian in love with Jesus Christ, this is who you are and this is your identity, that Jesus is my Lord. Once you come to that place, then we begin to see here, Lord, I know that that the world is going to hate me. Why? Because they hate the name of Jesus. You can tell people, oh, God bless you, God bless you. Like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. But you say, oh, may my Lord Jesus bless you. Like, oh, you're one of those. Instantly you know, they may go to church and they may say Jesus is God. They go on Christmas, they go on Easter, and they realize these things, that he's part of that one-third of the Trinity. But when you say, may my Lord Jesus bless you, you're going to flip their lid and they're going to hate you. Um, Why? Because they hated him first. And so... They have no problem speaking God, but when you speak the name of Jesus Christ, that's where the issue is. That is where the world is going to hate you. Now, as the world is going to hate you, I think it's important to realize here that when we look to this area of loving and we looked at what that loving was in 1 Corinthians 13, when we read last week, and we were looking at that portion of scripture from verses 38 through 42. And we saw how there's a point where they were saying that I, as a personal vendetta, that I can you know, have vengeance to what is equal to what I feel was done to me. In other words, a tooth for a tooth. And so there's this point on this personal retaliation. Well, sometimes a Christian will think this, that I'm loving a person by not retaliating. And so by not doing what I should be doing, by not doing what I think I could be doing, by not doing or by doing a thing called non-retaliation, I'm loving them. That's not love. That's just simply non-retaliation. What love is, is love is actually doing Love is actually moving forward. Love is doing good. I told you I would share with you this passage again, but in Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 14, all the way down to verse 21. Blessed, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind of one another do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And now he says, this is verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So if someone does you evil, do them good. He goes on to say, if possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me just put it this way be imitators of God, dear children, and walk in love. This is the whole heart of what he's trying to say. Now, we do understand that what loving your enemy is going to be is not just simply not acting bad, but what Jesus does is this. After he says in verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And we know that's not what was said. That's simply what the religious leaders did to allow the children of Israel to be able to hate their enemies. He will make this statement, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He has a threefold task that he defines that love that we can do for the enemy. The first is this bless those who curse you. Um, What is a blessing? Well, a blessing sometimes can be a tangible thing, but a lot of times what happens is a blessing is a verbal thing. Um, Remember now when uh, in the Old Testament, as we, we learned how when Melchizedek came out and he blessed Abraham, And we, of course, we learned through the book of Hebrews that beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. He who is the greater puts on the blessing. We also saw the same thing as, you know, Israel would come, Jacob, that he would go to the Pharaoh and he would bless Pharaoh. Beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And so there were these verbal blessings. And I think if you have an enemy Here's the key. How can you word such a vocabulary to say, how can I have my enemy built up? How can I have my enemy, you know, Lord, open their eyes and and minister to them or simply just talk to them in love? It's one of those things where you can either, you know, say, well, you said this, so no, I'm going to battle that. Remember how last week we used that one analogy how when a man bought a property, the neighbor came up and says, congratulations, not only did you buy the house, but you bought the lawsuit. And he said, the the fence is, you know, over on my side. He said, so I'm taking you to court and to, to get my property back. And what the man didn't say is, well, bring it on, buddy. He didn't. He told the man, listen, Move the fence where you want to move it. Move the fence where you set, where you think it's right and then have the people do it and then give me the bill. That's incredible. That's love. That's, that's this arm in the situation. And I think it's so amazing that he blessed the man. He says, listen, you don't, you don't have to take me to court. Move it where you want. Have people do the work. Give me the bill. That's blessing them. And, and, and I think it's so important to think, how can I word what I need to word to this person to bring blessings and, and not cursings? And so as we look to this, he says, you know, bless those who curse you. And then he said, do good to those who hate you. Not only do you need to figure out wordings and communicating with that person to bring blessings, to really edify and build up. And, and I think it's important to seek to do that. But then he says, not only are you supposed to verbally talk to the person that you hate in order to build them up, to edify and to bless them. But then he says, now your actions have to follow up those words that you do those things that will bless that person. I had a boss and I used to... Um, not like this boss. He wasn't a good person at all. He was a a very horrible individual. But my my ministry was, what can I do to make your job easier? If there's something I can do, you need me to do this, you need me to do that. And and so um, I'll tell you what, and eventually um, he didn't hate me quite as much. And that's all it did. He, he was never where we became chums, never anything else, but I'll tell you what, it, it made it so, at least in my heart, I knew I did everything that I could do, everything that God was calling me to do, and, and his hatred was simply because I'm a Christian. Now, he took advantage of all the things that I did. He didn't mind me doing all those things, but there was never uh, a swaying of even just his heart being a little less hating towards me. But we see here he says, first you need to let the words be spoken, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and then he says, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Lift them to God. And I'll tell you what, there's gonna be nothing that is gonna change your heart more than when you bring that person before the Lord. Because when you bring that person before the Lord, of course, we can pray the praise that, you know, in the psalms like David, oh, Lord, kick in their teeth. And, and that that's not the, the sweetest of prayers you can make. And that's not what Jesus is saying. So don't pray the psalms in on them. What you need to do is this: pray God's blessing upon them, that God would, you know, open their eyes and that he would give you the words to speak, anything to bring them life that you could be allowed to to plant or to water that eventually God would bring the increase. And when you begin to pray for someone You can't continue to hate them. As you begin to pray for them, what happens is this, that you, when you pray, are in agreement with God. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus to pray, and he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It was very important wording. Your will be done on earth as you already will in heaven. So you will this Let me become a vessel to do your work. So often when we're praying, we pray the opposite. My will be done in heaven. Get it done, Lord. It's almost like, you know, I'm talking to the genie in the bottle. Here's what I want you to do. Fix it. That's not how Jesus taught them to pray. Your will be done. Whatever your will in heaven is, is there, let that be done here on earth. And then the key is what? Let me become the instrument of your work. Be imitators of God, dear children, and walk in love. And we see that here, this is that ministry that he wants to do to those who are the enemies. I want to share you another passage found in the book of Jeremiah. The passage is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. It's only a couple verses. It begins in verse 4, and I want to start from verse 4 to keep you in the context. And then I'm going to go all the way down to verse 7. So four through six is going to get you to context. Seven is going to be really understanding what it what it is. So in verse four, we see here that, you know, Jeremiah is writing this letter to the exiles. And as the letter comes to the exiles, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, to whom I cause to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. I'm gonna pause here for just a second because what God is letting the children of Israel who are there in the midst of the enemy who've been carried away by Babylon, God said this, I have caused the situation. I'm the one who brought you there. I have caused to be carried away. And I think it's important to realize that in the same way is that God brought that Samaritan on the road He brought that priest on the road and he brought that Levi on the road. Directly after that, man was robbed and beaten and left half dead. And he gave each one of them an opportunity to walk in love, to be imitators of God. Two that had a religious standing walked away. One said, I'm going to come and minister. Now here, realize God causes everyone to go through that path. I don't know if you've ever, you know, are those that pray and, and I'm, God is trying to work me out of it. But I was really, in, in my youth as a Christian, I would hear from God and I'd go from point A to point B. And and it's like, everybody just get out of my way. You know, it, it's almost like that scene in the Princess Bride where on the, the says, everybody move and, and they all you know, this big gap just just opens up and, and him and this other guy begin to just walk on through. And we think, that's what I do. God gave me from going to A to point B, everybody move. And eventually I realized that the reason why God was saying, I want you to go from A to B was not really to get to B, there's a whole lot of people that were going to intersect me on that path. And I just pushed them out of the way. You're of my way. I'm getting to be. And God says, no, no, you're not getting to be. You're going to be. You're going to that place. You're going to where I'm calling you. And I'm bringing these people intersected in because that's the journey you're on. You need to meet with those people. The reason I'm calling you to go in this direction, because that's, the direction you need to go to meet these people that I want to express my love to. And if there's someone who's an enemy that hates you, realize God put them to intersect your path. It's not a mistake. Like, Lord, Lord, do you know that? Yeah, I, I know. I, I've known from the beginning of the foundation of the earth. I've known all the things that you're going to do. And I've actually prepared this as a path for you to walk in. That in this, you're going to grow with a greater understanding of me. You're going to grow with a greater understanding of who I am and what my word is. And so here, when he's talking to the children of Israel in exile in Babylon, again in verse four, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away by captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem and Babylon. He says this, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so they might bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And notice what he says in verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace realize that Proverbs teaches us that when it comes to the area of communication, it says this, without kindling, the fire goes out. So you can have conversations with those people that you disagree with. And what you can do is this, you can either add fuel to the fire or you can add the water of the Holy Spirit and say, I'm gonna pour out love. This is what I'm gonna do. And without kindling, the fire goes out. Now, keep in mind, they may add a lot of kindling, a lot of kindling. And eventually, all you're going to do is love them. One of the, the sweetest spirits of, of any person that I've ever known, and of course, you're going to know I was going to say this, my wife. My wife is, is just so sincere and non-pretentious. And, and she just, there, there's, there's nothing that would ever cause her to compete and if there's ever a point where, you know, I'm, I'm, I get like competitive and she's just says like, you win. I'm like, well, that's no fun. How is it fun when they just say, yeah oh, you win, you win, you win. She just doesn't want to compete. And, and without that kindling, there's, there's no real drive. Now, if I get to some other guys, yeah, we, we, we can battle it out. We can communicate and we can really have intense conversations. And my wife just does it. She's like, yeah, you can win. That's fine. You're good. And you just, it disarms. And this is what praying for peace does. And I love the heart because he says this first, seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away. Seek its peace. Bless it. Do good for it. And then, of course, and pray to the Lord for it because in its peace, you'll have peace. And so, as we look to these areas, I think it's just so important to realize that when we love, it's not just stepping back and not doing evil. What God calls us to do as Christians is to take the positive steps. You've heard of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, the golden rule is very similar to a lot of the other cultures that were there. The only problem is is this, the other cultures would say what someone has done to you do back to them. If someone does good, you need to do good back to them. But when Jesus talks about this golden rule, he doesn't say that you are the responder. What Jesus does in the golden rule, he says, you are the initiator. Understand as a Christian, what God calls you to do is to initiate. You are to initiate the good. You are to initiate the good communication. You are to initiate the good acts. And you are to initiate praying for that person, literally bringing them before the throne of God. And the more you bring that person before the throne of God, guess what? God's going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's about time. It's about time. Let's do that. But I think what happens is we pray always negative. We're praying, Lord, you know, prevent them from doing this and prevent them from doing this and prevent them from doing that. And we're not praying in the initiative, Lord, give me the grace to do this, give me the love to do this, give me the heart to do this. We're always praying the the opposite. Lord, stop them from doing that, stop them from doing this, stop them from doing that, don't let them do this, don't let them do that. And it's always the negative, and we're always praying what? Let them be the one to change their actions. And what God says truly, if you want to love your enemies and you're praying, pray to be an initiator. Lord, what can I do to be an imitator of you? What can I do? And how can I walk in love? What can I do? Realize that, you know, we, we talked about how we are those enemies that, that really that were of God as well. Um, I want to share with you just a passage in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. This is who I was and who you were to God. And you who were once alienated, Colossians 1.21, you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now he has reconciled you realize that every one of us, how do you love your enemies? Well, here's a good question. How did God love you? How did God love you when you were an enemy? And I, I love the heart of it because we see here that while we were alienated and enemies by wicked works, now he has reconciled in the book of Romans chapter 5. One other passage kind of share with you a pretty much a parallel passage in verse 8. It says this God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I was an absolute enemy to God, Jesus went and did good. What can I do to give you access to the Father? What can I do? How do I die to sell? that you could have a greater access to the Father. And as we see this, what a beautiful picture that this is for us, that when we see, yes, Lord, now I begin to understand that you don't want me just not to do evil or not to not do the evil. In other words, do this non-retaliation thing. Because I learned last week, I don't retaliate. He says, no, now I'm going to amp it up a notch. Now I want you to initiate the good, initiate the communication that blesses, initiate the action that blesses, and then begin to pray for them. And he makes this statement when he says at the end of verse 44, back in our text of Matthew 5, pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He says, if you do these, and I love the heart, he says that you may be sons of your father in heaven. I'm your child. And as your child, I want to be an imitator of you. I don't know if you've ever seen how little kids, they actually to learn to do things they imitate what their dads do when my youngest son marcus he was about oh maybe three or four and he'd he'd go with me on on outings that i would do but he had these these pants and 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 uh what would happen was this i was i was talking to a guy and this guy just kept looking at my son looking at my son like why are you looking at my son and i was standing and talking to him and all of a sudden i see my son and there he is with his his Thumb in his pocket, and he's there has, and he's looking at me like, okay, your thumb is in your pocket, my thumb is in my pocket. Yeah, I'm good. We can have this conversation now. And he he just imitated. Of course, we understand what imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, and that's what God calls us: imitate Him, imitate Him, imitate Him. So if if you do this, if you bless those words, do good in action, pray. He says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Why? Well, because God is merciful. What we're seeing here in this passage is, is speaking of mercy. Here in verse 45, he says, He makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. So as we're looking to this, God is in this passage showing mercy. Now, if you're familiar with the, the passage, um, one day we'll get back to Exodus and we'll, we'll go through the book. But there in Exodus, there was something unique about the land of Goshen. In chapter 8, uh, verse 22, there were flies everywhere in Egypt, but there were no flies in Goshen. And eventually when it came to the hail there in nine, um, chapter 9, verse 26, there was hail all over Egypt, but no hail in Goshen. And, of course, that hail was, was fire and, and, you know, just destruction, but none in Goshen. So God can do something. He could make the the, the the rain just rain one farmer and the other farmer gets nothing. And it's like, why is this farmer always getting it? Why is this farmer always getting it? Why is this? Well, because he's the just, but God doesn't do that. So what this isn't talking about is judgment when he's saying he makes his son to rise on the evil and good. He's saying it's mercy. And when he makes the rain to go on the just and and unjust, it's mercy. But I want you to note, and you have to understand that what Jesus is doing is this. He's taking every opportunity he can to exalt his father. Notice what he says in the middle of verse 44. He makes his son. It's not he doesn't make the son. He makes his son. He talks about our Father in heaven. He says, you're going to be sons of your Father in heaven. He makes his son. You understand how he exalts God as creator. He says, the very son that comes out, it's God's. And if you partake of warmth from the son, that's God's blessing. That's God's mercy. And God is going to allow that blessing to be upon you. But something amazing is he's also going to be allowing it to come to your enemy as well. And when the rain comes, he's going to send it upon the just and the unjust. So we see here that God is the one who uses the elements, the sun, the rain. He can use it for a blessing, but he can also use the sun as a scorching. He can also use the rain to dry up as he did with Elijah. Remember when Elijah came on the scene? He was there before King Ahab, and he says, listen, at my word, there's going to be no dew nor rain for, you know, for this time, these three years, until I say something. And so for those three-plus years, no dew, no rain. So God can use the rain as a judgment, but here what Jesus is saying is they're experiencing the mercies of God and their enemies, and if God is showing them mercy, then what do you do? Well, let me just give you a thought. Be imitators of God as their children who walk in love. If God is showing the enemy mercy by the sun, his sun rising on them, if God is showing them mercy by sending his rain on their fields, he says in verse 6, because if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Keep in mind that there are rewards for Christians. And your reward may not be now, but your reward is going to be. When God you know, takes you to heaven, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll tell you what, I don't want jewels, crowns. Just to hear those words would be amazing to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. And yet we see here that it's what? When you go beyond. When you go beyond, because God's expectation for the Christian is more than the expectation of the world. He expects the world to be the world. And he says, Listen, so so why are you, if, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? He says, You have to understand that even the tax collectors, the say, Now keep in mind, the tax collectors were what? They were not the nice ones, they were the ones that they despised. And as we come to see, Matthew is going to be that tax collector there in the ninth chapter. But as we note there, they were like, oh my goodness, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. That's that's what they saw them as. And here he, he points them out and says, you despise the tax collector. But I'll tell you what, that tax collector, they love the other tax collectors. I mean, what did Matthew do? He invited them all over. You got to see Jesus, the man that just called me to walk away from all this and save me. You've got to see my Savior. And he loved them. And you can always love your own. It's easy to love your own. Well, not always, but it's easier to love your own than it is to love your enemies. Because, you know, you realize it here... When they're your friends, and I don't know if you've ever had those friends, and when they do wrong, you make excuses for them. Or if you have family members, when they do wrong, you make excuses for them because you love them. You say, well, if they're doing wrong, let's justify them. No, you still hate the deeds. You hate sin is sin. Whether they're good people or bad people, you love them or hate them. Sin is sin. No matter if they're good people, you still need to not like their deeds if they're doing the wrong deeds. If they're wicked, you don't have to like the deeds. But you love all the people. But I love the fact that he says, if you're only loving those who love you, he said, even those that you think the worst of, they do that. He says, and if you only greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. So we see that there is this area where the world does what it does. And God calls the Christian always to do what? Take it up a notch. Take it up a notch take it up a notch, because you're not just doing what the world does, you're doing what God calls you to do, and keep in mind that the world, we expect them to take it up a notch, but they really can't, they don't have the Holy Spirit, they don't have the Word of God, they don't have that, that power in dwelling in them. There was a friend of mine, um, I for years and years I kept trying to lead him to the Lord and lead him to the Lord and but he was always too intelligent. He says, "No, no, I know this, I know that." And, and you know, and I'm I'm okay, you know, it, it really is working for you, but it it wouldn't work for me and he just it was just constantly resisting. And he came to me and he was struggling in his marriage. And he said and he said, "What can I do?" And I was very honest with him. I said, "Listen, I can give you counsel. And I can talk to you and I can tell you what the scripture says. I said, but I will be doing you a disservice. Know this ahead of time because you will have no power to do the things that I'm going to talk to you about. Because what what this requires is the power of the Holy Spirit to you know lead you and guide you and create a desire to do these things. And without the Holy Spirit, you can only do it so long. You can try to imitate it and try to do it, but it's going to have no real power in it. And there's going to be no real victory in it. And he was still okay. He says, but I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. And so I told him what he needed to do. And I asked him again, do you want to receive Christ? Do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you want power? No, 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 no. And within months he was divorced. And he's like, I just, I, I, you were right. I couldn't do what you called me to do. There, there was no change in me and I wanted, I just couldn't. And so I said, well, it's still not too late for you to come to Christ. Um, there's still a chance even in your marriage. And so, um, but he never did. But I think it's important to realize that he had no power. You understand the world's gonna do what it does, but it can't go up a notch. It can't greet those who, who it doesn't love. It's not gonna love those and, and uh, um and love those who, who they don't love. It, the world can't do that. The world looks at you in the light and the world's going to hate you. And know that it is going to hate you. And they can't not hate you. Why? Because they're of their father, the enemy, and he hates. He's been a hater from the beginning. And so because he hates, that's what we see is the, the reality of where we are. And so it's interesting that he expects to the Christian to act better than the people in the world. He expects that. Because if you're doing the world, the world does, you're not doing above it, what reward do you have? Do you understand? He's saying, I expect better out of you. I don't know if you've ever heard that as a, as a child, or if you ever stated that as a parent. That other children can do other things, but your children are like, I expect better out of you. Other kids can do that, you can't do that. Other kids can do that in the neighborhood. You can't do that. Other kids can go there. You can't go there. I expect better out of you. We say that to our own kids. How many times do they say, I expect better out of you? Because you're my kid. The neighbor kids go, well, the neighbor kids, that's fine. They're not my kids. You're my kid. My parents said it to me. i said it to my kids. Why do we expect better? Because they're ours. And God, as we're his children, he expects better out of us. And I love the heart of it because this is what we see. He says, if you do what they do, there's no reward. And I want to bless you. I want to give you, but you've got to go beyond what they do. And you have the ability to do that. And that's the, the inference that's here. Not only does he expect it, but he's going to give you the ability to go beyond. Why? Because he said, love your enemies. And if he said, love your enemies, guess what that means? The power of the word becomes the power for us to act. And all it is, is now I realize what you called me to do, love. And I see how I can love. I can talk good to them. I can do good to them. And I can pray for them and bring them up. And then he closes this whole thing with these incredible words, verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, at that point, we're just... Done. What more can we do? How can we deal with this in in any way? When he talks about all these things we need to do and we need to do and we have to do good, and and he talks about now the the area of, of being perfect, and that's really now amping up that point where you want to say, What can I do to bless? What can I do to minister? What can I do in that way? I want to share with you a passage, just jot it down, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And this is why God is trying to say, I want to teach you this, I want to teach you this. He says this, Romans 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I'll tell you what, that's what brought me to God just to say, oh, he's so good. I was a sinner, I was an enemy and Jesus went and he died on the cross with me in mind because he took my sin upon himself. And I love the fact he says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering? Don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance? And what God wants to do is he wants to show his goodness through you. He wants to show his goodness through me. And it's one of those things where the world is going to hate because that's what they do. And and he said, you are going to be hated by all for my name's sake. But here's the thing. In my name, you're going to love all. And this is the key to understanding here what he says. You shall be perfect. Now, It's interesting because when he says you shall be perfect, this is the summary of the whole law. This is the whole law. The law says you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You're like, well, okay, well, I'm doomed. Like, yes, we're all doomed, which is why what? Why we have Christ, why we have the cross, because none of us will be perfect. It doesn't mean that as we go through this, it doesn't say that we are going to absolutely be perfect. But I think it's important to recognize that although we will not be perfect, once again, I want to close with this passage, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God. You won't be a perfect imitator, but seek to be an imitator as he inspires you with his spirit and with his word, seek to be that Imitator of God as dear children walk in love as Christ has also loved us, given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God. It's a sacrificial love to that person so they can experience God's love through you, his goodness through you. And that in this, this becomes your worship to God. Do you realize that you're not just loving the enemy to love the enemy and say, oh, look at me, I'm loving my enemy. You're doing this as a worship unto God. And this is here what we see, what truly Jesus Christ does. Because when he did it for us who were enemies, we see that he gave himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet smelling aroma. When you give yourself over to the point to say, yep, yeah, I'm going to give myself and I'm still going to be persecuted. I'm still going to be used. But God, I'm your instrument. And if you want to use my life as an instrument that they could see your goodness and I'm going to let them know that you're my Lord and this is why I do what I do, then then be glorified, Lord. And I think it's just a beautiful thing to see Within this area, how through all these things that we need to look upon ourselves, how do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves? And ultimately, I know in the last few weeks, we saw ourselves as wretches, but that's what we need to see because why it means his grace is so much greater. Now, what's going to happen is we get into the chapter six, we're going to see how others see us. How do others see us? How do others see us? So you're going to see now the, 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 the turning of what we're going to see and how we want others to look at. Here's just how you see yourself. They would see themselves as righteous because I've never murdered. Yeah, you're wrong. I've never committed adultery. And you, you see all these things and, you know, it's an eye for an eye and I'm doing it right and, and, uh, you know, I don't swear falsely and, uh, you know, you're, you're missing it completely. When you see yourself as a place of elevation, God is going to humble you. When, when you're humbled in this way, God is going to exalt you. And I think it's so important to realize that we cannot do this in and of ourselves. There's no way that we can walk this. But what we can do is this. And that's why I wanted to, to close. And I've been I've been wanting to use that Ephesians 5 for the last five of these. But I had to wait for now because it's so important. Just become an imitator. What he calls you to do, just, you know that old saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And and then, then do that. Just, just realize I want to imitate you. And I want my invitation to be a worship unto God. And even if, if it takes a sacrificial love to do this, it's for your glory, Lord. It's for your glory. Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for just this passage that you've led us to. And you're good, Lord. You are good. And when we look to this passage, and again, This wasn't a complicated one in order to do a word study. (laughs) The word study was pretty easy. Love your enemies. Uh, It didn't take a lot to figure that one out. But to do it, Lord, to do it in and of our own strength, there's an impossibility. And Father, just just help us that initially, when, when people do wrong, we react. We react in a way that's almost reflex now. That when someone says something or does something, that our reflex is instantly anger, it's instantly bitterness, it's instantly towards that person. And Father, help us to hate the deeds, but not the person. Help us to hate the deeds, but to love the enemy. And to teach us how we can bless and and pray for them. But Father, we realize that If you don't pour out your spirit and direct us in this, we can't do anything. It's sounding brass. It's nothing. And yet we want to truly love according to what your word declares. And so we're asking for an outpouring of your spirit. We're asking for a clarification within our mind and hearts. We're asking in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.